Hello, friends. Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey hosting today, and I'm excited to have another conversation with my friend and colleague, Andrea Rogers. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me again on the Living Truth Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Andrea recorded the episode Hope for the Holidays with me. Um, which was really powerful and helpful to so many women. And I asked her when I recorded that episode, hey, can we have a conversation about the impact of being a person of color, being a Black woman, and going into recovery? Because I have several facilitators in particular in my Women in the Battle community who are Black women who and uh, women of other ethnicities who have shared some of their hearts with me of their experience um, in the world but also their experience in recovery. And here, let me say this, you guys, before you tune out, because you're like, oh, I'm white, I'm out. I I don't have anything to listen to. No, actually, everybody needs to listen to this. And this is not going to be political. We are not pushing an agenda except for an agenda of love, understanding, compassion, empathy, and creating a safe place, okay? So if you are white and you're like, this ain't for me, please stay tuned because you're going to want to listen to the conversation. I'm eager for this conversation, Andrea. This is a hard hitting topic for me. Um, having my, my, and now I am obviously as whiter, as white as a ghost. Um, <laughs> but, but I have been called a bean burrito by the students that I used to minister to because for 15 years I was in ministry. And most of those years I was working with Latino and native American college students. And they told me I was Brown on the inside and white on the outside. Um, so they called me a bean burrito and I have a son who is half Mexican and half white and his experience of race and culture and whatnot as he navigates the world is really important to me. And I think that you cannot know the heart of God until you know and experience some of every culture that is on the planet because we all bear his image and, and the differences and the different ways of looking at the world, the different ways of being, celebrating, speaking, dressing, all the things that make up a any culture, there are some parts of that that you have to see and know to fully see and know the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to stop talking and ask you the questions because you are the expert. You guys, um, Andrea is a coach. I didn't say that. She's a coach for especially for partner betrayal trauma, but she coaches addicts too. She does a lot of work with daring ventures and has her own private practice. She knows the stuff. Okay. So Andrea, before we got on and recorded, I was asking you a question and you started talking and I was like, oh my gosh, we got to stop and record. Can you unpack what we were talking about? Yeah. And I mean, you kind of um, prefaced part of it in what you just said that this is a challenging conversation to have, especially in our culture today where words are being thrown around and people are being labeled and there's, you know, this ideology and that ideology. And what I want to say to people today is we're having a conversation about what it's like to be human in a particular color of skin and why that would be important to people you may encounter who are coming for care. So this is not some political agenda. We're not labeling it anything other than 
how to care compassionately for people of color in the recovery community. That's what we're talking about today. So if that's what you want to talk about, then I'm excited to be a part of the conversation. And I said, it's particularly challenging in the recovery community to have these deeper kinds of conversations because most people who come in have a heart to help. So the heart is in the right place. And to tell someone that they may have a racial bias or some racial ignorance or be unaware of how they're communicating that uh, can be hurtful to someone can be really hard to do. So if you're volunteering your time, if you are really passionate about caring for others, for me to come to you and say, Kristen, I think living truth is great, but I really see some ignorance in some of your teaching materials. That's a very difficult conversation to have. Are you having this with me right now? No. Are you telling me that? Okay. <laughs> no, I was I, like... I, I will be honest and say I haven't dug into your material <laughs> enough to know, but if it were there, um, it might be a conversation we need to have because yeah. I, I, I believe in doing no harm. And if we say that we are here to help people and people are coming to us in their most vulnerable state, then we have a responsibility to do mm-hmm. no harm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can you share your personal experience, like when you had your discovery and and started going into your recovery experience, specifically as a Black woman, what was your experience like? Yeah, you know, I was reflecting on that this morning, knowing that we were going to have this conversation. And when I say the, the memories are as fresh today, um, first of all, I did not know if sex addiction was a real thing. Um, I had heard it and there were some stars who came out and said they were sex addicts, black stars. And I remember the conversation in the black community was like, that's an excuse. It's a lie. So my first question was like, is this even a real thing? Right. And trying to decipher if it's a real thing while I'm bleeding out and in desperate need of help. So trying to find my first thought was I need a black counselor, you know, I need a female and I need a Christian. And that was the worst experience because um, this lady read scripture to me the whole time. She talked to me about forgiveness and I was like, okay, God, maybe I don't know what I need. (laughs) Right. And so I got a a referral to a group. And I remember the first time I walked in this group, instead of feeling like I'm going to be there with people who are experiencing what I'm experiencing, my first thought is, yes, they're experiencing what I'm experiencing, but are they safe for me as a Black person? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going into this group already very raw and, and wounded and potentially exposing myself to more wounding on a racial level. Um, And that was scary for me, Kristen. And honestly, it's still scary for me because most conferences we attend, most workshops I go to, Mm -hmm. uh, most anything that has to do with the recovery community, I am one of a few. 
And so I always have to carry all of my intersections with me, my intersection as a woman, my intersection as being Black, my intersection of being a betrayed partner, my intersection of being a divorced single mom. It's like all of those things have to go with me. And something about, you know, race is that, and our race and our gender, like I can't step outside of this skin I'm in. So when you see me, you don't see betrayed partner first. You see oh, black woman. I see a black woman. First. Yeah. You see a black woman first. And so if someone has a bias or ignorance or prejudice that they're not aware of, they can lose sight of me being a betrayed partner and start talking to me from that bias. Did you have that happen woman. to you? Even here recently, I was in what I thought was a safe space and somebody made a comment and I always have to weigh, okay, is this a conversation that I want to have with this person in this space at this time? You know, and it's like, yeah, it it's always present. So sometimes you have to let it roll off your back because it's maybe somebody you're not going to keep interacting with. Or someone that I know is committed to their ignorance. Unpack that. (laughs) Okay. I mean, some people are curious, right? Like you're curious, which is probably what your students were saying to you. You're willing to ask questions, not make assumptions. You're listening. You're applying what you hear them saying to you, what matters to them, how they like to be talked to, what's important to them. And you're incorporating it in your interactions with them that shows up right so but if 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 i say to you hey you know that is hurtful or this is what's important to me and then the next time i talk to you you're still with your agenda that tells me that you're committed to your ignorance that you don't have a desire to learn if you make assumptions and don't ask me questions like you just did right i said something and you're like unpack that. That tells me that you're interested in learning. And so uh, some people are not. And, and, and as a Black woman my whole life, you know, I've learned to pay attention to that and growing up in predominantly white spaces, attending predominantly white schools. Um, this is not a new rodeo for me, but it's just very different in that Betrayal trauma by itself is already isolating. Oh my god! It, it already puts you in a smaller circle. So it's not like I can just go to another group. I can just go to another space and find help. It's hard enough to find a group. So if I find a group yeah. and it's not safe for me, then where do I go? You know, my resources are limited. That sounds so lonely. Yeah. So what can, what are some of, of actually, before I ask that question, let me just, I want to hear more about your experience, your early days experience as a black woman entering recovery. If you have anything else to say about that, because I feel like there was probably more. Oh yeah, sure. Um, So I would say that I quickly had to decipher who are the people that I can draw close to and who are the people that I just need to understand they're in my group, but they're not going to be 
a, a close companion for me on my journey because, you know, when people are hurting, they're just talking freely and then something slips out and it's like, wow, well, that just created an unsafe feeling. But who's going to call that out if I'm not leading the group yeah. and the group leader is white and not aware? I have to bring it up. But now I move from being in a position of, hey, I'm here for care to now I have to step into being a teacher. And that's not what I want. I want to come and be cared for. And so I would say that if people don't take anything else away from this conversation, it would be that if you are considering leading a group or caring for betrayed partners in any way, that you take a little bit of extra time and educate yourself on how to be culturally compassionate, to be culturally sensitive in the care that you provide. Even if you don't know, how can you educate yourself um, so that you feel comfortable asking questions? What do you, how do you pay attention to the people in your group individually to make sure that they feel cared for and not just assume because, hey, I work with betrayed partners all the time. I know what I'm doing because we know it's not a one size fits all. Absolutely not. Okay. So here's a great way to help people who are people helpers that are sitting there going, but I don't know. I don't know what I do. Okay. Let's make a list of some things that you, maybe some do say these things and don't say these things, like make a list of two columns of here's some good ideas to say of things to say, to show curiosity and care and openness and here's some things to not say. I'm going to start with what not to say. Okay. One, number one, no, I'm going to go first and then you, and then you, you're going to, you're going to do all the others. Okay. Number one is never say, I don't even see color. Like I don't even notice that you're black. It's like, do not ever say that. Yes. That is, that is very offensive because you're proud to be black. Are you not? Uh, absolutely. Black God is made beautiful. me this way. Yeah. Right. Like, and you're probably proud of your culture. Yes. I mean, all absolutely. of us, every culture has brokenness and glory. Yes. Like, right. We, we, we all have that, but you do not want somebody to see you as white. That's offensive. Yes. You're basically saying you're right. erasing this huge part of who I am. Yeah. And it's plus, it's just ridiculous because that's not even true. Like you're, like you said, the first thing people see is you're a black woman. Yes. Okay. So don't ever say that. Okay, what else should people avoid? What are some things to avoid? I'm sorry, I have to laugh at that one because no, that it is because you. How many times have you heard it? Oh yeah, all the time. People uh -huh. think it's a compliment, right? Um, and it is. It is far from a compliment. Um, and I wish, Kristen, it was as easy as what not to say and what to say. Um, but you're right. Don't don't say I don't see color. Um, don't say we're all the same. Like race doesn't even matter here. We're all the same. Um, yeah. don't say something like, well, you know, black men cheat all the time. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I was I was so shocked because, you know, a black man did this or that, or right. So bringing your, your, your stereotypes, anything that has to do with the stereotype, don't say it. And some people don't even know 
yeah. that what they're saying is stereotypes. And I had that said to me, Andrea, by because my first husband was Mexican. And I had somebody say to me, well, don't, honey, don't you know, like they kind of have a reputation. I was just like, yeah. are you kidding me right now? <laughs> yeah. So see, that's, no. that's the don't say. And then I would say, um, if I could add one more thing, like, I understand your experience mm. because you don't. No. Okay. How about what to say? What are good ways to um, be culturally compassionate? I love that term that you used. Well, you you said it earlier. Can you tell me more about that? Right? Can you tell me more about what that means to you? So asking a question uh, rather than assuming you understand what that means. Um, being willing to admit humility is so powerful. Right. People think that saying I don't know or I'm not sure what to say is a bad thing, but that's a great thing. I even had my doctor say that to me the other day. I asked her a question and she said, you know, I really don't know the answer to that. And that made me love her all the more because it was like this person's going to be honest with me. They're not just going to pretend like they know and then they don't. So being willing to say, you know, I probably should learn more about that, but would you be willing to tell me more of what that means so that I can understand your perspective or um, being willing to say, you know, I'm not really sure. And being willing to admit that you may not be the person to have the answer, but hey, let me reach out to my friend, or let me see if I can get more information, or just having that empathy that, wow, there are pieces to this that I didn't consider, and I can see they're really impacting you, Mm -hmm. right? So not making the person responsible for educating you, but saying, acknowledging, you know, whatever it is that they're bringing to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and ego can really get in the way of being empathetic. Yes. I'm writing down a lot of what you're saying here. <laughs> um, another thing I thought of that is, I don't know if you would call this a microaggression or what, but um, like when a person is having a normal conversation about something that happened to them, And they talk about, and then this guy was working at the cash register, but they say, and this black guy was working at the register. And I know that sounds like a contradiction because I just said, don't tell somebody you don't see their color and that you don't think it makes them any different. But also when you're, I mean, if it's relevant that he was black because you had a conversation with him about black culture Mm -hmm. or you, you know, if, if it's relevant, but I, I feel like I hear white people all the time say, like racially label people out of context where it's like their, their ethnicity was not really relevant to why you just said that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's exactly right. Yes. Because are you saying, well, I was talking to this white lady and the white lady said, right. But no, when it's a minority and it's typically when it's a minority, um, when people want to bring up color, 
And again, that's a bias that a lot of people don't have an awareness about. So I'm glad that you brought that one up because it does come up in in groups. And oh, here's one. You ask about something unsafe. I remember um, in a group, it was a white lady, and I'm saying white because it's relevant. Her (laughs) husband cheated on her with a black woman. And she was really struggling with how could he, and she didn't say this, but this was what she was implying, be with a a disgusting Black person. I mean, and yeah, I'm I'm in the group and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. which part of me is showing up here as I'm listening to this lady? share her very painful experience, um, but also revealing a lot of her prejudice. And and I, I, I had to like excuse myself for a little bit and decide how I was going to show up. Um, because again, suddenly I went from, I'm in a safe environment with these ladies in the group. She was new to the group, by the way. Um, and so, you know, we, we talk about the stages of, of forming a group. Every time a new person comes in, you go through that storming and norming. And again, this is where a facilitator has a responsibility to notice what are happening to the, to the norming stages of the group when a new person comes in. Mm-hmm. What happens to the dynamics? How are different people impacted? Uh, but yeah, she was she was devastated. Not that he cheated, that he cheated with a black woman. Okay, so let's say you're a facilitator and that happens. What would you do? So if I'm facilitating the group and it's a new person, um, I'm going to let her have her share, but I'm probably going to have a conversation with her afterwards. And I'm going to check in with the un- other people in the group to um, see how they're doing. Because you can't sit in on a on a conversation like that and not be impacted. Right? And it might be time, you know, this is hard to say because there's no like recipe and that's what people want. Um, but I'm going to have to check the temperature of the group. If it feels like it's disrupting the flow of the group, I might have to stop the group and say, okay, something just came up, right? We heard that in your share and I understand that you're hurting. And it's also important to consider that we want this to be a safe space for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that might be something for her to explore what is it that she believes about Black people that is so devastating for her that her husband cheated with a Black woman? And then how, in particular, as a facilitator, do you minister to the person of color in the room, mm-hmm. in this case, in particular, because it was a Black woman and you're a Black woman? How does that facilitator minister to you? Because well, check- obviously it's going to impact you the most. Absolutely. So check in on me specifically. Like, how are you? Uh, Well, again, it's it's it. There's no one size fits all. This is where the facilitator really has to check in with themselves and see, because, see, I have been in the group. And at this point, I was a facilitator. I wasn't facilitating that night, though. 
So they knew me enough to know like, okay, check in on me with the look, you know, and I'm smiling. And then we have a conversation afterwards, but let's say it's my first time in group Mm. and I haven't been there before either. Then we might need to stop the group right then and check on me, right? To show me that her pain is not more important than my safety. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And then, like I said, I, I wish I could say, do this, do this, and do that. There's but almost th- nothing that's formulaic about anything with betrayal, trauma, recovery, or Absolutely. racial issues. <laughs> Absolutely. These are deeply painful and complex issues. Yes. Mm. So one of the, um, there's a company that does training on what they call culturally competent care. And if you Google that term, um, an article will probably come up. The company's name is Lyra, L-Y-R-A. They're mental health company, but Lyra does training on culturally competent care. And I got an opportunity to sit in on that training. And it was really interesting because it's like people say, yes, I want to do this work and I want to be culturally competent in my care. But understanding that, like, let's say, Kristen, somebody might be mad at you for having this podcast today. Somebody might say, oh, you're promoting woke culture, right, Kristen? You are, you're saying it's not political, but it is. And so now we no longer want to be affiliated with living truth because you're you're bringing up things that aren't relevant. We just want to care for people and love on people. And now you're creating division by having this conversation. So if you say that you want to be culturally responsive, culturally compassionate, understand that you are um, putting some some of your financial or or um, what's the word I'm trying to say your your contributors, your supporters, right? You're gonna ruffle some feathers. Um, you can't okay. have a, you can't <laughs> have a conversation like this and um, everybody's okay with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's fine with me because I really care a lot more about the people that I'm ministering to feeling safe and feeling loved that I know that everything we do in this field, right. Is controvert. There's like controversy and, Mm -hmm. you know, people's defenses are going to rise up. And so that's why I think this is not about anything political. This is this is the way of Jesus mm-hmm. to love people and to meet people where they were at. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody lived that out better than Jesus in my opinion. Yeah. And that is that is what we we're striving for is to become more like Jesus. Well, and not just through self-effort, but through opening ourselves up to his heart to be alive in us and flow through us. And we're also broken, right? We're all mm-hmm. so broken. Am I going to offend people? Like even, you know, people that I'm trying to minister to. I, I, yes, unfortunately. I. But I think that our goal and our heart is to move forward in love and move forward in creating safety and move forward in walking in truth. And the truth is that for, for 
for generations and generations, there has been horrific racism. There's been horrific injustice. And we, we, it's not like we're out of the woods on any level of that. I mean, have things gotten better over the years? Sure. To a degree, but, but there's still a lot of problems, a lot of racism, a lot of injustice and a lot of um, ignorance that I just, I do want to call my white brothers and sisters to be learners and to be accountable for. So it's okay that people are going to be upset. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, ignorance has gotten a bad rap as an insult, but ignorance simply means that you don't know. And that's why I said humility is really powerful and necessary if you're going to be a people helper, because your ego would say, well, you know, I know what I'm doing. I have X degree and I went to school this amount of time and I have all of these letters behind my name. But humility says, you know, even as much as I know, there's way more that I don't know and that I trust someone else sharing their experience with me as valid and that I don't need to defend myself against another person's experience. Yeah. Um, you know, what just came up for me when you were talking of what not to say, um, and this is going to sound strange, but every group, everywhere I go, people say, oh, you're so strong. And I have such a complex relationship with that word. Um, when you look up historically, what has been believed about Black women in particular is that they are strong. You think of the the nannies that were, you know, enslaved days raising um, white children when you study the history of gyne- gynecology and how all of that came to be in the experiments that were done on Black women because they believed Black women had higher levels of pain tolerance. And so they didn't need any um, any sort of painkillers or anything. And you look at the history of medicine in this culture even present day, how many Black women die um, giving birth, it is it is staggering. So even like Serena Williams talks about when she gave birth and uh, no, she had a blood clot. Was it her birth or blood clot? Could be both. Um, but she had to fight to uh, receive pain medication because they were like, she's strong. And so there's a really complex history with um, that word. And so when people call me strong, I, I bristle a little bit because it's like, are they using it as an excuse to dismiss my pain, to minimize my experience? Yes, I do have a strength, but we all have a strength. And I also have pain and I want you to see my pain um, just as much as you see my strength and not erase one because of the other. Yeah. And are you also wondering if they're just carrying the historical bias and prejudice yes. into the way they see you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about dehumanizing and um, using that word strong 
and paying attention. Like I said, are you using that with all the women in your group or do you find yourself particularly saying it to people of color in your group that they're strong? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I, I keep coming back to humility because only my humility would allow me to ask some of these really hard questions. Um, being self-aware enough to say, yeah, it it is possible that I've heard that about Black people and I'm not even aware of where I got that thought process from or that bias from, mm-hmm. but I do see it. Or like you pointed out, you know, pointing out someone's race. Um, and so it it it's just... You know, trauma brings people together in a way like nothing else. Um, And so we have such a great opportunity. I was thinking about this, like when we had a hurricane here in Houston, people weren't saying, oh, I can't help you because you're this or, you know, oh, you need help. No, that's not my thing. People said help and all people showed up to help. And it was such a beautiful example 9-11 was the same way, right? It's a beautiful example of when we come with our humility and our humanity and we understand that we all need each other, how wonderful things can happen. And so I don't want people to walk away from this conversation like, oh, I'm never going to lead a group or I'm never going to be, you know, helping people because I might make a mistake. Oh, we're all making mistakes, right? We're all it's making the repair. mistakes. It's, it's the, the repair. repair. Yes. So yes. Andrea, if for anybody who's listening, who is black or a person of color, and they're like, heck no, not going to enter a primarily white recovery group. Um, what do you want them to know about taking steps forward in the recovery community, entering the recovery community as a minority? I, I want to encourage them to trust that if you go to a group and the group doesn't feel safe, you are not stuck there. Keep looking, keep trying to find people who look like you that you feel safe with. If it's one or two, that's okay. But if if you go to a group, if you're afraid to go to a group because you're not sure, then my encouragement is give it a chance. Do some research. Don't be afraid to reach out to the leader of the group, ask questions, and someone's response will tell you a lot about how committed they are to that culturally compassionate care. Um, And that will tell you a lot about what you need to know. So we tell partners to trust your gut, use your inner wisdom, listen to your voice. I would say the same is true when you're seeking help in, in a group or in the recovery community. If if it doesn't feel safe for you, then that's not your group or those aren't your people. Find someone else. And of course, I have a little bit of a bias uh, toward living truth because in Women in the Battle, about one fifth of my facilitators are either Black or Latina. I have mm. quite a few. So it is the kind of thing where it's like, if you were a black woman and you were coming to me, like, I really want to be in a group with a black facilitator. I would be like, I get it. I get it. Here's your options. You know, I think that it asking for what you need is a really big uh, skill that we teach our partners. Right. Yes. Yeah. And recognizing that 
um, resources may be limited. Um, it, it is very hard sometimes to find, number one, some person of color in the mental health profession, although the numbers are growing. But then number two, you add in betrayal trauma and it's like your numbers get even smaller. So let's just go with you. If yeah. you need a coach, yeah. contact Andrea at, I, no, I'll, put, I'll put your contact info in the show notes because gosh, perfect, you know? Yeah, I was about to say, we're out here, you know? And just because I'm Black and you're Black, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be the coach for you either. And and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with referring people to other people, asking what they need. But the importance is you have to be willing to use your voice and not just assume that, hey, this is all that's out there. Because if you walk away more harmed than helped, then um, none we haven't done our jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Friends, if this was helpful to you, would you take a moment and rate and write a review about our podcast? That'll help more people find us and get the help that they need. And until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you.